Welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Network. We are helping people discover their talent altitude. On this pod, listeners can learn about leadership and other related attributes from former and current successful business people, coaches, and athletes. Each episode will bring you a conversation with people that display the seven pillars of dynamic leadership. Someone who possesses those seven pillars has courage, drive and accountability, integrity, grit, great communication skills, a high level of emotional intelligence, and they can motivate others. We will also talk with individuals that use their athletic and competitive experiences to lead in life, in business, community, or in their family. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. If you have time, please take a minute and on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and review. Today's guest on the podcast is Jordan Evans. Jordan is a current entrepreneur. He's part owner of an infrared studio in Rochester, New York with his fiance. He's also a financial retirement planner with Prudential, amongst a few other things. He's a former number one rated prospect in lacrosse after a very successful high school career in the Syracuse, New York area where he was the Central New York Player of the Year and a two-time captain. He then went on to play for Syracuse University. This is a really cool conversation. Jordan's a great guy. You're really going to enjoy what he has to say. So let's sit back, relax, get comfortable, and let's dive into the conversation. But first, let's jam a bit with Jet. Are you going to be my girl? Because you look so fine that I really want to make you mine. All right, everyone. Well, welcome back to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, my guest is Jordan Evans. Jordan, thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks, Colin. I really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Appreciate you taking time here today. And I'm going to dive right into this conversation so that we can get through as much as possible during our time today. And first, I want to give you an opportunity to tell the listening audience who are you? So, uh, as Colin said, uh, my name is Jordan Evans, born and raised Syracuse, New York. Uh, I'm actually a Janesville DeWitt graduate. Got into sports pretty early on in my life. My parents were divorced at an early age. That got me really um, into the youth associations within the Janesville DeWitt community. Played pretty much every sport there was, uh, but really honed in on a few sports later on in life and kind of just took off from there. Um, definitely like to be actively involved in the community. Uh, I'm definitely a big proponent of the fitness community. Love to live that healthy lifestyle. Like to cook. Just really like to have fun and like to be around people that have a positive attitude and are looking to make an impact in, in the world, you know? Yeah, very cool. So <laughs> you mentioned that it seems like as a result maybe of your parents' divorce that sports came into your life and maybe act as kind of a, an escape, I guess, for lack of a better word. What was, uh, yeah. yeah, what was growing up, you know, playing sports? What did that do for you? I mean, how did that shape your life moving forward? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, 
definitely, I think my parents knew at a very young age, I was, I started hitting a golf ball when I was two years old, um, and started playing baseball at a really young age. And I mean, the first story that they always tell to everyone is they gave me a right-handed golf club when I was two and I started hitting it with a lefty, lefty stance. So they knew, uh, that I was left-handed. I used to play hockey and stuff in the, in the yard with my dad three years old and then uh when they got divorced i was five years old as we moved from the fayetteville manlius district into danville dewitt obviously um i i had no friends nothing like that so really the youth association for jd became my my immediate escape my home for making friends and really building that athletic career that um, took me to where i am today so um, I think I have a lot to thank for that youth association and all of the parents involved with that. That there is, I mean, it's ongoing now that JDYA Youth Association is incredible and it really does do wonders for kids that I don't think they get the, uh, really the pat on the back for. So, Yeah, that's really cool. We've, I've talked about with other people on this podcast before about how, especially through youth sports, I mean, obviously it's important to learn skills and to better yourself, especially if you find a sport that you want to continue to build for the next level, whatever that level is. But one of the best things that came out of youth sports for me, and it seems like it was this for you as well as friendships and just being able to be around like-minded people and have fun. And I mean, I tell people all the time, I don't think I was ever more comfortable as a kid than when I was on an athletic field, whether it was baseball, basketball, soccer. So it seems like you had pretty much a pretty similar experience, regardless of you know what happened in your personal life. It was just somewhere that you could go and be yourself and really successful too. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and those people became your family instantly. I mean, when you spend so much time going to all those practices, I mean, not just the kids that are your family, but I, I mean, I always like to joke that I probably had four or five dads in my life, you know, when things were rough in that time frame between five, 13 years, five and 13 years old. When you, I mean, if your household's not doing so well, you know, I'd write a note to get off the bus at someone's house on a Friday and I wouldn't call my mom until Sunday to pick me up. That's just kind of how it was. All we were doing is playing outside with our friends every single weekend of every, every year. So it was a pretty good getaway. And those, I mean, as far as lacrosse goes, those 16 guys that I started that youth association with in second grade, I graduated um, James Will DeWitt High School with, and uh, I mean, we had outstanding accomplishments together, uh, obviously. So it was, yeah, you know, a tight-knit family for, for years. Yeah, absolutely. You get a family away from family, and that's always something to keep you focused and keep you on goals and things like that. And I'm curious as to when lacrosse, I mean, you mentioned playing other sports when you were younger, but lacrosse is where you ultimately went down that path and played at the collegiate level. When did you know that that was going to be something that could be pretty big for you? I think about sixth grade, Jamie Archer, the high school head coach at Danesville, the way he ran a camp every year, definitely one of the most fun things that all the kids look forward to because obviously we, I mean, you, you grow up and, you, and you're watching these varsity teams at your high school, like play in the state championships. And we got to go and watch every game at the high school together. So it was cool that we had the varsity coach run this camp every year. And then you had a couple of the former guys or guys on the current team from the varsity team show up. And I think in about sixth grade is when um, Jamie Archer pulled me aside and he's like, listen, I really need you to start playing with older kids. So he kind of pointed it out to me. And 
I mean, we, we had a travel team from second grade on that James Oakwood Youth Association travel team. We, we would win every single tournament across upstate New York every single summer. There was no club lacrosse back then. We didn't, we didn't have club lacrosse. So we, we didn't have to pay thousands of dollars to go and get, you know, three tournaments a year and get all the gear and all that stuff. We had our JD YAA pennies and that was about it. You, uh, and we just went and crushed every team and, and had a, and had a blast at all these local tournaments around all the Finger Lakes. And so sixth grade is really when I got pulled aside and told like, Hey, I want you to start playing with older kids. And then seventh grade, um, I played my first seventh grade modified year. We, we went undefeated. Jamie Archer's brother was my head coach. Um, and then Jamie and the varsity lacrosse team, they held like an alumni versus current players little pickup every summer, every Tuesday of the summer. And I was invited in seventh grade to start going to that and play with like the current players against the varsity alumni that would come back into town. And then uh, I started doing that. And then in eighth grade, I ended up playing JV. Uh, and then things just continued to excel a lot quicker from there. Very cool. And then, so your high school career, and tell me if I'm wrong on any of this, but I did a little bit of research. Looks like your teams, you were a two-time state championship. You were a two-time captain. And even further, individually, you were the CNY Player of the Year, Central New York Player of the Year in lacrosse and rated number one prospect in the area or in the state by inside lacrosse. Yeah, so all that was correct. We won back-to-back state championships my freshman and sophomore year. We ended up going 44-0 in that time frame. Uh, And then by my senior year, I was actually rated number one in the country for inside lacrosse as far as incoming freshmen into college. So I I went from like the top five into the top three. And then the senior year, I I played in the uh, Under Armour All-American game. And that was the weekend that they actually pulled me aside and said, hey, we bumped you from two to one during your outstanding senior season that you had. So it was pretty intense. There was, a, I mean, a lot of uh, hype around everything. Those ratings and everything in high school are very heavily watched now, I think even more so than they were like four years ago when I was going through it or five or six years ago, whatever, whatever that time frame was. I mean, it's definitely the big to-do now with all the club teams and all the publicity that these younger kids are getting and having to make decisions at 14, 15 years old on where they want to go to school. It's pretty intense. So Sure. How did you deal with that? Like, how did you block out the noise? How did you focus on what was necessary to move forward and to produce for your team and also obviously still go to school and <laughs> be a regular kid and things like that? What was your process for getting through that time period? I think you hit the nail on the head by saying that I just was trying to be a regular kid, you know, like not having lacrosse consume my life was definitely the best decision that I had ever made. Um, I think growing up, the youth association really uh, honed in on the fact that, hey, lacrosse is not your life. It's a fun tool and it can get you to places that you want to be in the future, but you need to go and explore other sports. You need to, you know, just go play outside with your friends and and play backyard games and whatever the case may be. Those are the things that make you a well-rounded athlete. I mean, even in high school, playing those other sports really, first of all, didn't, didn't make me burn out as far as lacrosse goes. So I wasn't, I wasn't really to the point of, Oh shoot, lacrosse season's coming along. You know, it's such a long season. Nowadays kids are 
year-round lacrosse players. I can't. I mean, I tell parents all the time, you better be careful with your 13-year-old sending him to every single lacrosse event that there is all year round. He's not going to want to play at the time by the time he's 18 years old and he has to play another four years in college. It's just, it's too difficult. Um, and it's not, it, it becomes a job and it doesn't become fun at that point. So I think that was the best thing that I did playing basketball. Um, JD had a fantastic basketball program, won a couple of state championships playing basketball during my high school career. And I mean, you get a whole new avenue of a different sport, but also a whole new avenue of friends and, people that you might not you know regularly hang around um, because of just the sport and, and how they're trying to advance in their own sport so it was nice to be able to uh, supplement with uh, something else yeah and I love how you pointed out just going down different avenues and learning from them by playing the different sports because even though I mean maybe in the back of your mind you knew lacrosse like you said back in sixth grade that was the first inkling you got and as you got older I'm sure that opportunity to play at the collegiate level became more real as the years went on and as you were more successful but the experience that you got in basketball is completely different than the experience you could have ever got no matter how many times or how many games you played in lacrosse and like being able to cross-function like that and being able to bring that experience like maybe something happened on the basketball court that all of a sudden you can apply that to the lacrosse field even if it's not directly applicable it can still be something to say like hey I've gone through this let me help you get through it if you're talking with a teammate or you're going through a situation or whatever it is so I love when people highlight that and it really seems like you obviously took well to that approach definitely I mean, you learn so many different things from so many different people. I mean, I'll be the first to tell you, I'm not good at everything. And I, I mean, the people that think that they're, you know, the best in every single aspect of life is just, it's not going to get you anywhere. What, <laughs> what my main goal every day is, is to find a couple of people or a couple of attributes about somebody that they do the best in their life and figure out how I can fit that into my daily routine, you know? So if someone's a really good communicator or if someone has an incredible work ethic and I've never seen the workout they did or the behind the scenes things that no one else sees and I could go and, and do that. Those are the things that make you a better person. And that's kind of what I tried to do between the two sports. Um, and that's just, that's just athletically. And then I started when I got out of sports, trying to attribute that to like the business world and seeing like, okay, how can I use that same mindset to, maybe go through an interview differently than everybody else does or really stand out. And those are the things that make those those individuals stand out. It really did help actually the most when I was sidelined by injury, I think, at least athletically. I mean, I had never been hurt before. And then my freshman year at Syracuse, I ended up having a really high ankle sprain. It lasted pretty much the whole season. I was out for the first part of the season and I was pushing for a starting position and then that happened right in the first spring event that we had it was just a scrimmage with I think Delaware or someone like that down in like Baltimore and uh, I was I mean I was pushing for the starting position had the high ankle sprain and then I was sidelined for the first time of my life so we had a couple of All-Americans on our team Kevin Rice, Dylan Donahue I was watching these guys for the first time from a sideline and that's really where my game went from you're the number one recruit in the nation to starting over and figuring out, okay, these two have very different games than I do. How can I bring theirs into mine and really up my game? Those are the biggest things that people I feel are very undervalued. People always talk about when you make a jump from high school to college or college to the pros, for example, how much that 
level of competition increases. And even like baseball, I was reading an article recently and they were talking about what's the difference between a major leaguer and a minor leaguer. And the guy that they were interviewing said that major leaguers can throw the pitch where they want to throw it at any given point. A minor leaguer just is throwing straight heat or something like it's very easy to hit. So it's amazing to me that you took that opportunity or that adversity, I guess, you got injured, but we're able to almost be like a scout and just watch and observe and learn and do other things that you wouldn't have been afforded had you been on the field. Like maybe you would have learned on the fly, but this opportunity kind of seems like it worked out in your favor so that when you got back on the field, you were a little bit more advanced than maybe some of your other peers that weren't paying attention and didn't have that opportunity. Is that accurate? Definitely. I mean, it, it takes, it, I think it leads to that first pillar of the high emotional intelligence. Most, I'd say about half the time when people get hurt, they want to sulk. They want to, am I never going to recover from this? I'm never going to be the same again. And it's, it's a complete mindset of you have to see the bigger picture. Like it, this is just one instance of your life that's going to be hard. So if, I mean, if you're going to sulk and you're going to waste that time, then you're not going to get anywhere. So, I mean, I ended up spending probably by, by my senior year, I probably spent about two hours a day in that training room. And all it was to do was to stretch and maintain my body so that I could play in the practice that day, you know? So those are the things that no one ever sees that you have to get done in order to just move and be able to run at practice the next day. But a lot of people just want to give up, curl up in a ball and kind of just accept the fact that, oh, I got hurt, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much done at this point. Um, but I took it as a way to see the bigger picture, see how, you know, the game has evolved and really kind of look at it from a bird's eye view of the field rather than just, oh, poor me, I'm just going to, you know, <laughs> screw off and be on my phone all practice or not even show up. Absolutely. It takes a really high amount of self-awareness too. And that goes into the emotional intelligence piece that you mentioned. So very cool. And you mentioned earlier in the conversation that you ended up at Syracuse university. Did you have other suitors? I mean, obviously being the number one prospect, I'm sure you did, but was there anything serious that was going to take you away from the Syracuse area? Yeah, I honestly, it was a very, it's, I mean, you're, you're 15, 16 years old and you're supposed to make a decision as to where you want to spend the next four years of your life. You have no idea what field of work you want to go into. So obviously the main point of higher education is to go and, and find what field of uh, business or um, career that you want to go to afterwards. And you're trying to make that decision at 15 years old. Obviously, um, I had know somewhat of a single mother making what she could and I had to figure out a way to not only go to school but to go to school for as cheap as I could uh, and take that and take advantage full advantage of that so it really did come down to what I thought I wanted to do I was back and forth do I want to go into medicine and, and you know orthodontia that led me to Johns Hopkins University I got very close with their uh, assistant coach there. I love their head coach. They kind of offered me the, the, pretty much the same, same package that Syracuse did. I went and visited Maryland. Um, I was very into Cornell. So, I mean, it ultimately came down to, I think Syracuse was obviously my hometown. Um, I had fans that had followed me for years that were hoping that I went and stayed and, and really, you know, put – 
I guess you would say, quote unquote, put on for your own city. They didn't push me. They didn't say, you know, we need a decision by this timeline. We have this many spots open left. They said, first time I sat down with John Vasco, he said, you know what? You need to go and see these other places and then come back and let us know how you feel. So that that mentality that they had, I don't know if that was a sales tactic or whatever the case may be, it worked very well with me because I didn't feel pressured at all. And I got to ultimately come back to them and say, hey, here's my other offers on the table. What can you guys kind of do for me? So, I mean, at that early age of 15, 16 years old, you're kind of learning how to play that business, that business like game of using, you know, what your value add is to the school and playing them kind of against each other. Uh, And I think that's something that's kind of underrated at this point in time, too, because there's so many colleges but there's so few spots on each team i mean a men's lacrosse team has 50 to 55 guys on the team there's 12 full scholarships to share amongst the entire team and i was fortunate enough to get one of them at syracuse to myself so that was a situation that was too good to pass up at that point and then they threw in the number 22 as far as me being able to wear that for the four years of syracuse as well so what's the significance behind the number 22 so 22 for lacrosse, and especially at Syracuse lacrosse, it's it's pretty much the equivalent of the number 44 as far as Syracuse football goes. Great names, Charlie Lockwood, the Gary Gates, Mike and Casey and Ryan Powell all wore number 22. It's, it's just, it's a symbol of one of the best players to be able to wear the jersey, and I was definitely fortunate enough to wear that, and obviously... It hasn't been worn since, and it's it's very, how do I say this? It's definitely one of the hardest things that I have ever had to do um, in my entire life is wear that number with all of that comes with it. Sure, there's got to be a tradition, obviously, to uphold You know, with all the great players that you named and the excellence that they had on the field and with their teams and everything. I'm sure for some people it might be a burden, but it seems like you know throughout your collegiate career you were – successful and just continued to play at a high level. So it doesn't really seem like it took anything away from your game. It's the same emotional intelligence that I alluded to before. I mean, I don't know if I wish it upon anyone to have to wear that number. I think with the media, the way it is today and social media backlash, pretty much anyone can say whatever they want. If it's not to your face at this point, (laughs) Uh, it's very difficult to be, a younger athlete today and not have some sort of scrutiny towards you, whether that's based on your performance on the field or if you, you know, you have a mistake off the field, it's going to, it's got, someone's going to find out and someone's going to publicize something about it. So to go through four years of that, I, I definitely could not have done it without my teammates around me, the support of those guys to pretty much have me keep going. I mean, they know the the type of guy I was, they knew, they knew the, value that I could bring to the team and, and the ability that I did have on the cross field, they really supported me and, and pretty much pushed me through those four years to block out the noise, to just focus on myself, focus on the big picture of what we were trying to do, um, and really just create a culture of respect around the fact that I pretty much was the only guy that had the balls to wear it, you know, and continue that tradition on. And it was. It definitely made me a stronger person, for sure. I'll say that. Very cool. So you mentioned the 
culture of the lacrosse team. And for listeners that don't know, Syracuse lacrosse, very prestigious, very successful lacrosse program in the Division One rankings. And I'm wondering when you come into a program like that, as far as team goals go, obviously winning a national championship is probably number one on that list. But what are some of the other measuring sticks for a program that has accomplished as much as Syracuse lacrosse? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. I think that my freshman year, obviously being a freshman at any school, specifically on a Division One team, you're, you're expected to come in and pretty much be obviously the lowest on the totem pole. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of proving yourself to others. Um, but our seniors, my freshman year, they were wide open. You know, they they treated us pretty much the way that they treated any of the other seniors and when we saw that it just makes you want to win and win not just on the field but do everything the correct way make sure you may you're in the weight room crushing it make sure you are in the classroom make sure you're taking care of everything on and off the field um and you're doing it for them and so i was fortunate enough that that was the way it was my freshman year and then Every year there on out, we just had better and better groups of seniors to the point where we had fifth-year guys when I was a senior in the fourth year that had been to the national championship in 2013 um, when I had graduated high school. And they knew what it was like and they knew the culture that needed to be created in order to get back there. Um, unfortunately, we never were able to, but nonetheless, they, they created – the culture that allowed us to be brothers rather than ranked by our year in school. So it was really quite a unique experience that way. Yeah. So the reason I was asking that question is because as you know, competing in athletics to win and to keep winning year after year is arguably harder than it is to say you came into an upstart lacrosse program and that had never really tasted much success and you came in you were like, yeah, I'm going to bring us to the promised land. Like I'm going to win us a national championship and to build some success and to build that culture when there hasn't been any winning before that, I think it's easier to have, cause I mean, nobody likes to lose, right? So <laughs> if you have something you can buy into, that's going to create a winning culture. I think it's much easier to change, but when you have that winning culture, it can become easier to get complacent and to just relax on what you've done in the past, I guess is the best way to put it. It doesn't seem like that was really an option for you or for your teammates at Syracuse and that you've had a culture where it's like, no matter how many national championships you win or how many conference tournaments you win or whatever it is, you want to keep pushing for more. Does that start with the coach? Does that start with the players? Like, Where does that specific attitude come from? I think that comes from the players. I think entitlement is a huge issue in our world today. And signing your national letter of intent to play at Syracuse means absolutely nothing. And putting on the jersey means absolutely nothing either. I mean, yeah, you go there, you can get all the gear you want, you can post about it all you want for everybody to see. You know, everybody just wants to post about, you know, hey, I, I made it, I finally made it. But that doesn't that doesn't mean anything. I mean, like I said, there's there's 55 guys on the team. 
total guys in a lacrosse game that play per game is probably 20. So just making the team doesn't do anything at this point. And I think that's, that's something that viewed by the outside doesn't make sense to everybody. But when you get there and these older guys bring you under their wing and they really pick out those guys that they feel are leaving a legacy behind so these younger guys that they know are going to work their hardest they're going to get their butt in the weight room they're going to crush it off the field so no one has to worry about them in the classroom no one has to worry about any disruptions off the field with them they really kind of pick out those guys and they don't verbally do it um, in front of everybody but you can absolutely tell who they pick out and and why they're doing it because those guys are the motivational leaders and whether that's being uh, a great communicator or a motivator as far as, hey, I'm going to show you what's right to do and you can choose to do it or not. Those are the type of leaders that we had on our team. Um, so we had the verbal guys that, you know, they are very easygoing and, and very good communicators and they can communicate. This is, the, this is the style. This is the culture. This is how it has to be. And then there's the other guys that don't say anything and they show you how it's done. And we had a very good mixture of the two. And that makes you really get that group of 20, 25 guys who know what needs to be done. And it just becomes part of your lifestyle every day um, for the next four years in order to grind it out and, and get and do what is necessary, I guess I would say. 30 second break to talk about my sponsor, Sweat with Scott. What a great sponsor she is. She's been with Pod since day one and we love having her support. Sweat with Stods offers a number of different options to get you on a path to improve your fitness future. Everything from fitness, nutrition, and simple healthy habits. So what are you waiting for? Head over to sweatwithstods.com right now, and when you buy a program, enter the code DYNAMIC at checkout to receive a discount for being a loyal podcast listener. Now back to the show. Last point on lacrosse, and then I want to move on to some of the more business stuff that you're doing these days. I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on the future of the sport. Like how important is it to you to be involved in the continued growth of the sport? What do you see as the sport's future? For sure. I I mean, lacrosse is a fastest growing sport and I I believe the world at this point. I've heard recently that they keep pushing for lacrosse in the Olympics, which is very exciting. There are three um, professional teams that are three professional leagues at this point. Um, you've got the National Lacrosse League, which is the indoor box league. You've got the Major League Lacrosse League, the MLL, which is the outdoor. And then you've got another outdoor that just started this year called the Premier Lacrosse League. So, I mean, there's definitely no ceiling, I think, as far as like full-time careers in the sport of lacrosse. But more important to me um, at this point, I mean, Listen, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I train because I want to be able to still play. Do I want to play right now? No, I think I need some time away from the away from myself playing. I think I got to that point where I've had enough. 18, 19 years of playing full-time lacrosse it has um, took its toll on my body and just my mind and whatever. But as far as me passing along what I had learned over those 19 years, I'm actually going to start getting back into it. I created my own training company right out of college while I was working full-time at an investment bank, Um, really just targeting the 10 to 13-year-old kids who maybe haven't learned the best um, habits over their lifetime or they have 
potentially gotten away with their bad habits. And I really focus on breaking those habits and, and making them understand what it takes to be an elite athlete um, at the highest level. And uh, I really like and, um, and trying to hone in on those, uh, those um, age levels as far as working with um, for the future. You gonna try out for the Olympic team if it happens when you're <laughs> able? <laughs> yeah, if I'm able, if I've got time. But like I said, I really at this point I really just train as hard as I do because I want to be ready. If I feel like I, I mean, that's really what it's all about. I I, uh, I went to the training camp for one of the major league lacrosse teams last summer. I felt as though I did very well. I, I was one of the top players at the camp. I felt, and it was a really eye opening weekend because. I felt that I, you know, I just, I could still hang in there. Um, and that's really what it, what it came down to for me. Can I still play with the best players in the world? And I think I proved that to myself and I was comfortable enough stepping away at that point, just knowing that, yes, I can still play with these guys. I had a lot of fun, but just at this time in my life, it's not something that I feel is most important to me to do. So it was, it was fun, but I've, I've got bigger and better things going on in my life right now. Yes, you do. And so you mentioned earlier in the conversation about just living a healthy fitness type lifestyle. And if you're not training for lacrosse, it's maybe for some other things. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about why living a healthy lifestyle is so important to you. Yeah, for sure. I'm um, trying to think of how long it's been. Probably, probably about sophomore year of high school, I decided that exercise and lifting and diet were the focus and center of what I wanted for longevity longevity out of life. And it just kind of transferred into my college career. I never was that guy who was too keen on having dining hall food. I'm a big cook. Uh, I really love to cook. I meal prep. I do all that. And I really enjoy it. I mean, people People almost make it an expense rather than an asset to their life, I feel. I feel like people always complain, I don't have enough time, meal prep so hard. Where do I get the recipes? What do I do? I enjoy those things. It's time for me and my fiance Rachel, to spend together. We find recipes. We we get together with people who are like-minded, who also like to live a healthy lifestyle. And our lives are pretty much the epicenter of that socially responsible and healthy lifestyle and that's how we meet people and and we enjoy it those are the people we surround ourselves with that are you know trying to add years to their life figuring out the new and best ways to take care of your body and i mean self-preservation is one of the biggest um, assets to people's lives and i don't think that we spend enough time on educating ourselves on how to do so so i'm very intrigued and there's a lot to learn and it's it's continuous i don't think it's going to slow down this this planet is uh turning itself around and especially in the united states i think things are only going to get healthier so i want to be on the forefront of all of that so say you were having a conversation with someone that wanted to implement a few healthy habits what are some practical, like easy things that you could start? Because you mentioned there's a lot that goes into it, right? And I know that yeah. too. And it it can be overwhelming. <laughs> let's let's put it that way. So, uh, what are what are some practical ways that you could say to somebody, "Hey, this is how you can get started. Do these one or two things, and then build on that." Yeah, I think people feel that the only way to get healthy is exercise, and 
that's rigorous exercise. They think, well, I can't, you know, I can't go out and run a mile. I'm 50 pounds overweight or, you know, I can't do such and such workout because it's, it's too high of a level for me. But I would argue that 80 to 90% of it comes from what you eat. So I really believe and I'm a firm believer that if you're eating correctly, that you're going to make a lot of headway towards being that healthy individual. You don't, I mean, you don't have to go and find a rigorous workout class that's going to crush your body that you're not ready for. I think just starting off with figuring out what type of, what type of foods work for you. I mean, I, I've tested several different grains and, you know, white rice just gives me way too much energy. And then I crash three hours later, but brown rice, I, get energy and it, and it lasts the whole time. So I stick to that or sweet potato or whatever the case might be. I try out these things and see how it affects your body. I mean, food's subjected to every person. So you kind of just got to sample each thing and, and see how they make you feel. But I, I'd argue that food is definitely the most important. And today, I probably, I, I eat six meals a day, my three main courses, but then I, I snack every two hours. Everybody always makes one of me, always, always hungry. But you know, it really works for me. It allows me to maximize my efficiency for the day. It allows me to get everything done that I need to get done with the maximum amount of energy. So uh, it's just kind of what works for me. Awesome. Thank you for that. We talked offline about how young entrepreneurship and just entrepreneurship in general is something that is really close to you these days and something that you want to better educate people on and share your experiences to maybe help people in the future. You've got a lot of ventures going on right now, and I'm going to let you kind of pick where we start this conversation, but I'd love to get into a little bit more of the discussion about the entrepreneurial piece of your life. Yeah, for sure. I, I think I said it earlier. I think people are so single-minded on the fact that in the United States, you must go to college in order to get the degree, in order to get that one job that's out there that you have no idea what it is. I don't know. I found, I think I started at a really early age. I think it stems from the fact that, you know, I didn't ever want to go to my mom to ask her for money. So, you know what I, I mean, in order to get that pair of shoes or the pair of Jordans for basketball or whatever I wanted, I had to just figure out a way to make that money. And it's, uh, and I started by mowing lawns. I started my own lawn care business and I did that every summer and I never had to ask my mom for a single dollar. And then that just transferred into, you know, when I graduated high school, I used the lacrosse accolades that I had. And in the summer I would go back and I trained some kids for some extra money. And then it just kept stemming from there. And then I got more and more ideas about where can I find more experiences and who can I learn them for and what are these people doing that they're so successful in and it, it also comes from you know being sidelined with that injury it's the same thing I'm looking at a bird's eye view of a lacrosse field now I'm looking at a bird's eye view of a business world and who are these young successful entrepreneurs that are creating their own companies and they're in real estate and this guy's in a gym business and this guy owns a restaurant how do I get involved in all of them and figure out a way to have my hand in each of the cookie jars. That's kind of how it started. So you talk about ideas and I think a lot of us, myself included, although I've acted on some 
a lot of us have plenty of ideas, right? Especially when it comes to entrepreneurship or maybe just a product that they think could make life easier, make them a lot, lots of money, whatever the motivation is. Again, just trying to get a little bit practical with this. When you have these ideas and when you're trying to create an action plan, like what are some of the first things that you've done, whether it was your lawn business, whether it was the lacrosse, whether it's some of the things that you're doing now that are a little bit more advanced, like how do you take that first step to actually doing something with those ideas? Well, usually I will bounce them off of somebody. So uh, I'll just name him right now. I go to my my best friend. I call him my older brother. His name's Thomas Anthus. I'll usually call him, and now obviously I'll bounce him off my fiance Rachel, and and she's. Uh, well, she already did her own podcast. We'll leave her a little bit out of this one, obviously. She's pretty much my motive. my day-to-day motivation at this point comes from her and our soon-to-be family. But I'll take it and I'll bounce it off my good friend Thomas or I'll call my mom and I'll say, hey, what do you think about this? My mom's really just there as like, I would say, a listener. Thomas will tell me, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, it's not a good idea. Here's who you should talk to about that one. Or here's, you know, you should just... Here's why you should just close the door on that one now. So I'll bounce the idea off of somebody, and then whether I listen to them or not is really up to me. So I'm a very good communicator, but I'm also a very good listener, I like to say, uh, or I like to think at least. Um, But the more people I can talk to about it, the more opportunity I have to listen to their experience about it. So if somebody, I mean, everybody's got more experiences than, than just yourself. So if I can hear you know, somebody's experience about something and figure out, you know, the best opportunity or the best option for me, then that's what I'm going to do. So that's kind of how I, I work it. What about trying to figure out what type of industry maybe you want to explore or even a type of products? Like, it, I think one of the, the best pieces of advice that I got in the entrepreneurial journey is just having a product or having a service that is needed, right? Like you could have an awesome idea and want to start a company, but if nobody needs that product or service, then you're probably not going to be successful. You're you're not going to make any money. And like money's not the only thing, obviously, but in order to continue to be a business, you have to make some money to reinvest into things. So how do you determine, like you were talking about those cookie jars earlier and which ones you're going to go after, versus which ones you aren't like is that a separate process or do you do the same thing like do you bounce that off those same people or is that a totally different process i think it's a completely different process i think it's it's i don't know if it's a different process i'd say it's levels to the same process so first level is find out how many people i can talk to about it and see if they've had an experience in that area or if they know somebody who is successful in that area then i'll take it and i'll either talk to that person myself or I'll just go ahead and do the research on my own, and then I quantify. So I'll take whatever opportunity I think you know has potential, and I try to quantify it. And that's where kind of my uh, my current profession comes into play, being a financial retirement planner. And I use Excel sheets. I build a lot of the what if scenarios on my own. This is the maximum potential I have. Here's the very conservative view. Is this financially well off and is there potential here financially and that's what i'll do for each of the cookie jars and really you kind of once you do that you're going to get to pick and choose kind of what you have you know if you have 
you, you've always want guarantees. So I, although I am very ambitious and we live a very ambitious lifestyle and Rachel and I kind of bounce and feed off one another, I mean, and motivate each other, I'm the conservative one, believe it or not. So I will, I'll kind of bring myself to the, to the more conservative end of things and say, okay, this is a worst case scenario. Does it still make sense in the worst case scenario? And that's kind of how I choose what I want to spend my time on. One interesting thing that you just mentioned throughout that is that you're supplementing your entrepreneurial journey by also working in a more traditional office type setting in the in the corporate world, being a financial retirement planner, like you said, at Prudential and using that experience to help you with your entrepreneurial journeys. Is that a process that you would recommend to people like learning from what you're doing to help you in the future and help you build a foundation before you go full blown into something? Or do you think it's easier just to completely break off and start something fresh and really just go for gold? Yeah, I think the biggest mistake that anyone can make is we're not all Steve Jobs, you know, we're not, we're not creating MacBooks out of a garage and someone's going to come in and offer us millions of dollars for the idea. That's not you're 1% of all entrepreneurs that happens to out of everyone in the world. So I think having the guarantees in your life first, making sure that you can provide for the things that you signed up for, the responsibilities that you have, whether that's your to just yourself, if you're on your own or a family or your spouse or any other loved ones, if you signed up for a responsibility, you have a financial obligation to take care of that responsibility before anything else. So I'm a firm believer in having and making sure that you have a guaranteed stream of income coming in to cover those responsibilities before you try and do anything else. So once that's taken care of, then you should have, and should you have the time, then you have the freedom to start breaking out from there and figuring out what really brings you the happiness in your life and figuring out, do those things also intertwine with, you know, being even more financially successful than your guaranteed stream coming in. I love it. Great advice. That's kind of my view on everything too, but I love hearing from other people if they have different views on it, but I think it's, I mean, obviously it's the safer, more concerned, but I'm very much like you. Like I, Christine is like Rachel, you and I were much more similar in our approaches. So for me, taking that safer route, if you will, and just knowing that you have, like you said, that income stream that's going to pay for those things that absolutely need to be taken care of. Like you need to pay for things in order to live life. Like it's just a fact, right? So I think that is really practical and, and great advice for anyone that might be thinking about, hey, should I quit my job like altogether and start this business or should I maybe try do some things on the weekends or in the evenings and try to mix it in with what I'm doing right now to better myself in the future. Definitely. Yeah. And I, I really think it really does come. It's pretty simple. I think people, people overcomplicate things. You know, everybody wants to, I think our world in general today is filled with complainers. Everybody wants to complain, you know, I don't make enough money. I don't, I don't deserve the treatment I get. I don't have enough time. It's just, it's full of, it's easier to complain than it is to feel good about yourself and feel good about your day, you know? Sure. And then people 
will um, like subsequently uh, mask their, their complaining attitude with some sort of social media post and they want everybody to see, oh, you know, I had a horrible day, but you don't know that because I posted this beautiful Instagram picture that I edited for an hour and a half and it looks like I had a fantastic time today. So it's just, <laughs> it's, it's a big front. It's, it, and it's, it, quite frankly, it's concerning. So I don't really want to associate with anyone who does that type of thing. You know, I'm not, I'm not a big believer in complainers and I don't want to hear how bad your day was because if you knew what I did today, and how stressful and how many things we accomplished in a day you would wonder what you know what how hard your day was so sure i think that people just need to take a step back and really understand that these successful people they don't just i mean they're not trust fund babies granted i bet you a few of them are yeah i'm here at dan's company and i took it to the next level sure but um the people who are successful i mean how many times did steve jobs get a no or these successful people get to know. I mean, it, no one ever hears about that. They just they just make the movie about that one time that the guy came to the garage and offered him a million dollar investment. They don't hear about all of the times that he probably walked into businesses and pitched his idea and everybody shot him down. So, yeah, and Steve Jobs got pushed out of Apple for a time. He had to come back and reinvent himself. So even the brightest people in the world, like you said, when everybody's trying to come up with the next hot thing or the next big thing. You have to remember there's only a handful of Steve jobs in the world. And even those type of people have to keep up with the times and they have to reinvent and they have to innovate and just keep pushing themselves. So success is such a up and down process. It's not just like this up, up, up great thing all the time. Like there's, there's a lot of challenges that. (laughs) Yeah. No, no one wants to admit the behind the scenes. I mean, I can't, and I don't know if she'll be happy about this, but I can't tell you how many times Rachel and I have thought about the current business. You know, like it's it's not easy. Granted, it's 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 fun, and it, and if it does well, it's it's all worth it. But it's it's time consuming. You know, it's it's stressful. There's always the worry in your mind about how the next day is going to go. If if something's going to give out on you, if if your system's going to work, if we're doing things correctly, did you price things correctly? Is it worth it? You know, those those questions are never going to stop. So if you're really thinking about doing something outside of your guaranteed career that you have created for yourself, you just got to remember that those things are not going to go away. But if you can find a way to manage them and really just, you know, get, get the most out of yourself, you're going to enjoy it and it's going to take you to that next level of where you want to be, whether that's just financially or even if you did volunteer work, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I'll tell you what, for me, I want to have um, the most fulfillment out of the most amount of money that I can get. So if I can, if I can maximize my my fulfillment out of what I'm trying to do and also make money at the same time, that's what I'm going to do. And that's what I'm going to choose to do. You brought up the really good point. You got to be willing to have difficult conversations, whether that's with business partners or with employees, because business, it's not easy. And a lot of us get shielded from it when we're in our individual contributor type roles, you know, in the corporate world or something like that. And to be able to lead a team or to be able to run your own business, you got to be willing to have those difficult conversations and do things the right way because it'll save a lot of headaches in the long run. The show is called Dynamic Leaders. And is there anyone special in particular today that you want to give a quick shout out to? Yeah, I would definitely, um, I mean, I've got a lot of, 
I'd say I have a very tight, tight-knit group of people that I keep very close to me, and then I have a lot of supplemental friends and family from there on out. So it's definitely hard to hone in on one of them, but I'd say my mom, Wendy, uh, I'd like to kind of just thank her. She kind of gave me the freedom to become my own person. I mean, she never worried about who I was going to turn into, where I was. She never... She never was that hovering uh, parent that was on top of me all the time asking me all these questions. She really let me do what I needed to do in order to be successful. And I mean, obviously, it turned out, I'd like to say, quite well so far. She went through a lot of hard times raising two kids pretty much by herself. And she deserves a lot of credit that I don't think she gets herself credit for. So, I mean, it really, really makes it easy when... Uh, you have a parent that trusts your judgment and allows you to become what you want to become. What a great shout out. She's going to really enjoy that when she <laughs> hears it. Jordan, is there a way for people to get in touch with you? Say they want to learn a little bit more about lacrosse and maybe want to pick your brain or even the business side of things. Is there an easy way for people to touch base with you? Yeah, definitely. I'm open to anyone reaching out. Probably I'd say Instagram would be the best way. I've got a lot of things that I think are pretty exciting that are going to be coming out soon. I'm getting back into the lacrosse training world. Obviously, Rachel and I have opened the sauna studio in Rochester. We just moved there, and uh, so I'm kind of trying to figure out where my where my niche market is with the lacrosse training aspect and kind of connecting with a lot of gyms around there. So Instagram would be the best way. My Instagram is just jordanevans underscore 22, so Definitely reach out on there. I'd be happy to connect with anyone. Um, And then we can obviously give out further information from there. (laughs) Awesome. I'll put that in the show notes like I do with all my guests. So if there is someone that wants to reach out, that's easy reference. Jordan, before I let you go, I mean, you mentioned things coming up with the studio that you and Rachel have out in Rochester, but is there anything special coming up, you know, whether with that or obviously you got some personal things coming up too as well, I know, but anything you want to shout out before we let you go today? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely want to thank Rachel for putting up with me every day. I obviously, uh, we opened the business. We've got a baby coming hopefully within the next four weeks. We're looking to, uh, to grow that business, open a second studio hopefully in the fall um, somewhere in the Rochester area as well. So we'll keep you updated on that. And then obviously um, you can definitely keep an eye out for some lacrosse training and just some physical fitness training from myself and reach out to us anytime or come and stop in at the studio or right across from the ECU mall. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the conversation, Jordan. Today it was great to get people to know you a little bit more and be able to tell your story and give advice and guidance. I'm sure everyone's going to learn a lot. I know I did from this conversation. So can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day to talk with us. Of course. Yeah. It was really, uh, really great to talk with you. It's kind of nice to, you know, I don't really talk to many people about myself. So this was a, it, it was really nice to be able to have a conversation and really, I think I might have learned some stuff from myself today too. And it's nice to kind of put it out there in conversation with all the thoughts and ideas going through my head all the time, bouncing off my own brain. It's nice to get them out and vocalize them. So I appreciate it. Thank you again to Jordan for hopping on the podcast. That was an awesome conversation. He had so many great things to say, especially when it comes to entrepreneurship and some of those practical methods that we talked about, how to get started. If you have an idea and you're looking for some inspiration, this is a really good podcast 
to get you going. And I can't thank Jordan enough for the time. We know he's busy with business and with his personal life. We wish him the best moving forward with all that. Thank you to my sponsor, Sweat with Stods. Go to www.sweatwithstods.com today to figure out what she can do for your fitness future. Thank you, as always, to my listeners. You guys are great. Keep coming back. We're going to keep going with some new guests, some exciting guests. We are back next week with one of those guests. 